we've been looking at what it means to follow Jesus. And we said that following Jesus is not about how much you know. It's not about who you know. It's not about where you attend church. It's not about what you have done or how recently you've done it. We know that because Jesus invited people to follow him. When, we, when he invited people to follow him, they were sinners. They were unbelievers when they started following. That was true then. That's true now. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be um, uh, righteous. In fact, you're not when you start following Jesus. So that's where we started with this. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, this is a big deal. It's radically different than any other rabbi of his day. All the other rabbis said, you have to be a good rule follower. Only the best rule followers can be our students. And so when Jesus shows up, it kind of blows their theology. This only good people allowed theology, it blows it out of the water because Jesus said, I'm from God. And, and if his theology comes from God, then only good people can go to church or only good people can be in the kingdom. Then it doesn't come from God. It's not biblical. Because Jesus said, I'm from God, and he changed the rules. And it made, him, it made the religious rule followers so mad that they, they hung him on a cross to try to shut him up, to quit saying this message that it's okay for bad people to follow the Messiah. Now, Jesus, Jesus didn't shy away from uh, controversy. He didn't sh uh, shy away from these things. And in fact, what, what we're about to read, he's talking to a group. So it says, it's going to tell us he's talking to a crowd and to his disciples, his followers. But we know that the religious leaders were always around the outskirts. They were, they were listening in on what was going on. And so look what happens. Not only does Jesus say this in front of them, then he turns to them and he calls them out and he says something to their face and it's going to tick them off. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. So if they're standing around the side, they're going, yay, some, he's, he's acknowledging us. Yes, listen to us. But then, oh, then, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. If you're a religious leader, if you're a Pharisee and Jesus just said this in front of a crowd about you, are you happy? No, them's fighting words. <clears throat> now he turns to them, not just talking in front of them. Now he turns to them. Verse 15, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, if you, if you have ever read the King James Version, it says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So hypocrites, it goes across all translations. That's what he's calling them. Six times in chapter 23, he calls them a hypocrite. And then just to make sure they know he's calling them names, he, he also adds blind guides and blind fools. You religious people, you're blind guides, you're blind fools, you're hypocrites, hypocrites. Six times he calls them hypocrites. Do you think that's, that made them happy? No. Hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make the one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. Some of the older translations say that, that you damn them to hell. And so he says, you double damn them. You're going to hell, and you double damn people who, go, who follow you. Wow. Jesus is not messing around. See, he came to tell people that following Jesus was and is different than following religion. And I'm reading this book by uh, Jefferson Bethke. Um, some of you heard him in spoken word um, 
poet, and, and he said this about religion. In his book, uh, Jesus is Greater Than Religion, I thought this fit here. He said, religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion is man searching for God, Jesus is God searching for man. Religion is pursuing God by our moral efforts, Jesus is God pursuing us despite our moral efforts. Religious people kill for what they believe, and then this one is awesome. Jesus followers die for what they believe. There should be a massive difference between a Christ follower and a religious person. And everybody should be able to tell by the way you act. So we said last week, our main point last week, if you weren't here, you can, you can get the this, this sermon on CD or you can get, go online and, and find it. Following Jesus, where, the, where he wants to lead us, is to we, we come to a point that we have a faith that overwhelms our fears. We have a faith so great in God, the one who can condemn our soul and body to hell, we fear him more than we fear people who can merely hurt our feelings or even hurt our bodies. That's the goal of following. Now today we're going to talk about what should Christians wear? This should be a popular topic. Isn't it true that you can always tell what someone, who someone is following by what they wear? Isn't that true? We're going we're to try a pop quiz. I'm going to show you some pictures, and you tell me who these people are following just by what they're wearing. First one. Houston Astros. Houston Astros. Yeah. <laughs> Texas Rangers. Now, I have a Texas Rangers hat, but I have never gone to this. Uh, uh, no, no. This one. Baylor Bears. I went to Baylor, so if you want a different college up there, preach. Number three, Dallas Cowboys, yeah, sitting at home. Yeah. I'm a Cowboys fan, but let's be real. Cheeseheads, Cheese heads. <laughs> dip sticks. I mean, this is what you should call them. Cody's not even here. You can tell him I said this. I, I just think that's the dumbest. Cheeseheads, it's, it's Green Bay Packers. I think it's the dumbest thing, but you definitely know who they are, right? We're proud to be cheeseheads from Wisconsin. You can tell who they're following, right? They're not afraid of that. Well, if it's true in sports, let's see if you can tell who these people in religion are following just by what they wear. First one. Who is the leader? Who's the one who started? Muhammad. This is the Muslim faith, but you can just tell by looking. We're not, we're not casting stones. We're just saying this is part of the Muslim faith. Here's, here's a trick one. It is Baptist. Somebody got it. First service, like, we don't know. It is Baptist. When, when I went to mom and dad's church one time for Christmas and dad wanted me to sing in the choir, I'm, I'm the youngest person in the choir by 30 years, you know, and, um, and I was wearing a robe and Caleb was like eight years old and he's drawing pictures. He goes, dad, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Draws this picture. This is you singing. I don't know why. I don't know why we wore robes, but we did. That was Baptist. Good, good, good job. Buddhist, Buddhist. Now, um, these are robes. I can't remember. I looked it up. I can't remember what they're called. But you can tell which sect of Buddhism they follow by the color of the robe. Some are brown. These are orange. So these, these kids are following Buddha. Hasidic Jews. Yes, we talked about them a couple of years ago when I went to Israel because we saw these folks everywhere. It, it's just, it, it identifies them. When you go through their neighborhood, everybody in their neighborhood is dressed like this and you stick out because you're not following the same thing that they follow. They say they follow God, right? And, and so I'm just, I'm just saying you can tell by what someone's wearing who they follow. Now, as a Jesus follower, should we, should we dress like this? You could. That's as close as I'm getting is that other wig if you raise $10,000 for a good cause. The next one is kind of, it's actually really offensive to me. You know who this group is? Westboro Baptist Church. They, they, um, they protest 
military. They protest um, homosexuals. They, they protest and, and they're, they're, vile, they're vile people. The, the things they say and do are, are very offensive. But, but here's my point. Um, you, could, you could wear John 3.16. You, you could be a part of this protest, but, but what should a follower of Jesus wear? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so let me get there. Believe it or not, Paul tells us in the New Testament what we're supposed to wear, and that should kind of scare you because he's telling us this before the invention of zippers or buttons. Paul started off as Saul of Tarsus. When we first meet him, he hates Christians. And in fact, he's running around arresting them, kind of like that Westboro Baptist Church. He's protesting Christians. He's watching them arrested. He's watching them die. And, and in the middle of his protest of Christianity, he becomes a Christ follower. Radical thing. He wasn't one of Jesus' original followers. He becomes a follower after Jesus resurrected from the dead. But he knew Jesus' original followers. And what we're going to talk about today, he actually gets from the writings of, of Matthew Mark. Mark, Luke, and John. Paul knew all of them, and, and he gets his ideas um, about what we're to wear from Jesus, from their teaching. Now, Jesus, at the point we're going to read today, Jesus is just about to be arrested. Judas has already left. He's already betrayed him. Jesus is about to be arrested, and he gathers his followers, and he says to them, I'm about to leave you. Where I go, you cannot follow. And they go, what do you mean we can't follow? Now, stop right there. When, when Caleb was having trouble with his multiplication tables, um, Hannah already knows this, um, Janie was their teacher, their, their homeschool teacher, and Caleb was struggling with multiplication. And so Janie decided she would do a little bit of osmosis thing. So she goes in at night after he falls asleep. She goes, three times three is nine. I'm not making this up. Four times four is 16. And one night she gets to eight. Eight times eight is 64. And Caleb wakes up. He goes, what do you mean eight times eight is 64? He's totally confused. He catches mom. He's hacked off. Get out of my room. What do you mean? Jesus is talking to his followers. Jesus is talking to his followers. He said, I'm about to leave. Where I go, you can't come. What do you mean we can't follow you? We've given up everything. We've followed you for three years. What do you mean we can't follow you? And then Jesus just goes on. He doesn't answer that. Look what he says. A new command I give you. When I was a kid, we, we had eight, ho eight houses down from my house. We had a vacant lot. So we were the sandlot kids before they ever made a movie about it. We would play baseball, football. We'd play hide-and-go-seek. We would make up games. But when you've got a bunch of neighborhood kids playing games, somebody's going to cheat, right, at some point, And somebody's going to stop and go, new rule, and I'm not going on. I'm not playing this game. We're about to take the ball and go home if you don't follow my new rule, right? Y'all ever done that? Jesus stops right now, and he goes, new rule. Look what he says the new rule is. Love one another. Jesus, that's not new. Jesus is like, not done yet. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. He never lowers the standard, ever. In the Old Testament, they knew they weren't supposed to commit adultery. Jesus in the New Testament raises the standard and says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you hate someone, you've, you've killed them. He says, you should tithe, but you should also have a heart of mercy. So Jesus always raises the bar. He's about to raise the bar on love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's never anything about Jesus that's 50-50. Like if somebody loves me 50%, then, then I love them back 50%. No, Jesus says you love them 100% regardless of how they treat you. Don't love folks the way normal people love one another, Jesus says. Love one another as I, Jesus, have one another you. 
Three weeks ago, I talked to you about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was rejected by everybody in society. He was an outcast. He was rich, but he was an outcast. Nobody would hang out with him. He was lower than sinners. I talked to you about all of that. Jesus walks up to him and he invites him and he says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. Matthew follows him. Imagine Jesus saying to him, Matthew, you remember how you were rejected by everyone your whole life, even your countrymen, even your family. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to family gatherings because I invited you to follow me. Remember how that made you feel? Matthew says, yes, Lord. For the first time in my life, I was accepted. Jesus says, that's how I want you to love other people who feel rejected. Another time I told you about Jesus inviting Philip uh, to be one of his followers. He's one of his public students. So Philip immediately goes and finds a guy named Nathaniel. And it kind of shows us what, what followers of Jesus should do. You don't just come to church and pretend to be a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus invite other people to come see what Jesus is about. Look what happens in John 1:45. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son, from, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Slocum? Can anything good come from Palestine? Can anything come, let's just name all, Cayuganachus, Elkhart, Do. Here's the point. Can anything good come from church? I mean, that's what, that's what Nathaniel's saying. We found the Messiah. Can, can anything good come from there? I love Philip's response, and it's your response. You, you're not supposed to, you just invite people. Can anything good come from church? Those people are going to judge me. Look what Philip says. Come and see. Come check it out. Next Sunday's a great time for you to invite someone. Can anything good come from church? Come and check it out. Come and see. It's what we're supposed to do. Imagine Jesus years later saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, do you remember the first thing you said about me? Nathaniel drops his head. Yes, Lord. Jesus says, you dissed everything about me. You dissed my name. You dissed my hometown. You dissed my family. Do you remember how I treated you when you dissed me? Nathaniel says, yes, Lord. Jesus says, that's how I want you to treat other people who disrespect you. As I have loved, you love. That's the standard. Now look what he says in verse 35, John 13, 35. By this, that kind of love, as Jesus loved, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. That's another name for follower. If you love one another, this type of love should so define us that when people, when we walk out here and we go anywhere in town, Someone should say, there's another one, another what? Another Jesus follower. How do you know? Because I imagine if Jesus were on this earth, he would act just like they act. That should define our church. So we have this deep teaching about love one another as I have loved you. And look at Peter. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? It's like, what's for lunch? Now, I don't know why y'all do this, but, but some of you turn in cards that you've written notes to other people. So I've actually gotten this. You know, we can have a great service. And I go back and I read the registration card and it says, what's for lunch? <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. We'll talk about that another day. Doesn't matter how you're distracted by something that's not as big a deal. Jesus is like, hey, love one another. Where you going? What's for lunch? Now, I'm sure Peter wasn't the only one to miss it, and I guarantee you he's not the only one in this room who will miss it. 
Yeah, I get it. Love like you love, but blah, 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 blah. I follow you, but I hate that person. I'm just going to stay close to you, Jesus, while hating them, okay? Jesus says, no, no, no. I want this to distinguish you from all non-followers, non-believers. This is your job. See, we tend to listen to what we want to hear and ignore the other stuff. Just give me a set of rules to follow Jesus because then I don't have to deal with people. The problem is all religions tend to sink towards rule keeping rather than relationship building because it's easier. It's easier than dealing with people. Why is that? I think it's kind of like gravity and water. You know, water goes to the lowest point. Gravity pulls it to the lowest point. Society goes to the lowest point unless it's acted upon by something outside, an outside force. The love of Christ compels me to follow and to do something different than act like the world. And see, all of the world is set up to say, you're number one, you're number one. Everything should revolve around you. And, and even in religion, the, the, the most selfish people on the planet are the best rule keepers, the ones who keep rules simply so they're noticed or honored in religious places. That should not be. See, it, it's I'm in control when I follow rules and there's the problem. See, God, I want you to accept me based on how I follow the rules that I like. I'm just going to choose the rules I like and follow those. And Jesus says, what about love your neighbor as yourself? What about... Um, Love as I have loved you. What about those? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just follow you and I'm going to hate my ex. Those things don't have anything to do with each other. And Jesus goes, oh, yes, they do. The way you treat others reveals what you really believe about Jesus. See, too many people here and, and at other churches have been mistreated in the name of Jesus or in the name of religion. Can you imagine screaming out like these Westboro Baptist protesters? Can you imagine screaming out, God hates you. How do, you, do you think Jesus approves of us saying, God hates you to the people he died for? I heard a pastor, one of my favorite pastors say one time, you've never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. If that's true, how can I dare scream at someone I hate you in the name of Jesus? You can't. It's impossible. Jesus says the one thing that will distinguish you from all other religions, is when you love as I have loved you. See, religious people tend to confuse discipline with discipleship. Discipleship is following. That's not on your listening guide. Um, discipline says, I'm going to do this, 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 this. And there's nothing wrong with discipline. I get up and I read my Bible and, and I've been working out. I, I have some discipline, but discipline is not the goal. I want to be more like Jesus. Discipleship is following. Discipline is I'm so dedicated to my religion that I ignore you. Or worse, I mistreat you in the name of my religion. Some of the meanest people I know, I'm not making this up. If you, if you grew up in the type of church I did, some of the meanest people I know know the most scripture. You know why that is? Paul tells us, and in, in, uh, not going to read it to you, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he tells us, knowledge puffs up. I love this. Knowledge puffs up. You ever seen anybody puffed up with pride? He says, knowledge puffs up. 
Knowledge without actions. Not anything wrong with knowledge. I love reading. I love studying. Nothing wrong with knowledge. But if you have knowledge and no actions, it puffs you up. And it will cause you to hold other people to a higher standard than you will hold yourself to. Knowledge without action puffs up. Why is that? All religions tend to sink towards rule keeping rather than relationship building because it's easier. Now, 20 years after Jesus has said these words, not 100 years, that's a big deal because we know that, that it takes longer than 20 years. It actually takes longer than 100 years for legend to get into the, the scripture. Paul becomes a follower of Christ not long after the resurrection of Jesus, and then he begins starting churches, but within 20 years, he's writing about this stuff when people are still alive. In fact, he says, um, all of these people have seen it. 500 people saw Jesus alive at the same time. Many of them are still living. That means go talk to them if you don't believe what I'm saying. 500 people saw him alive after he was dead. So 20 years later, Paul is writing, and he, he realizes that one of his churches that he started around the Mediterranean Rim one of the churches, the Christ followers are beginning to um, follow rules instead of build relationships. And he's going, no, 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 not on my watch. He writes the letter we call Colossians to the church at Colossae. In chapter three, verse 12, he says this, therefore as God's chosen people. So this letter is to Jesus followers, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. So it's like, put this on, wear these things. You want to know what Christ followers wear? He's about to tell you. The first one is clothe yourselves with compassion. The Greek word for compassion actually means love with all your bowels. That's a great picture. Um, in fact, I've been looking for this card because I want to give it to Janie. I love you with my intestines. I love you with my colon. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. They're not meaning literal love with all your bowels. It means something that hits you in your gut. Last week, our small group is right here. And, and someone said in the small group, I've struggled my whole life with thinking I'm not good enough. And it hit me in my gut. And they said, I still struggle. And so I prayed, God, I pray this person will not ever struggle again. I pray they will begin to see themselves as you see them. It hit me in the gut. See, compassion means to feel for or with someone. The first time I heard about the, earth, the earthquake in Haiti, I felt for them. It hit me in my gut. And the first time in 2010, 10 months after the earthquake hit, when I stepped on that soil and I saw the destructions, the destruction there, it hit me in my gut and it's never gone away. That's why I want to keep going back. And I've told the Lord, if you'll enable me till I'm 70, I'll keep going back till I'm 70. Compassion. You, you need to put on compassion. Second thing you need to wear is Kindness. Kindness. Now, I love this definition. Kindness is to loan your strength to someone else. We do this anytime a, a mom has a new baby. We, we have women that take meals to them. And, and if you've ever been the recipient of that when you have new children and, you, and somebody just brings you food, it is awesome. You're, you're struggling with a new baby trying to, uh, you may be recuperating C-section or whatever, and, and you're, the baby's not sleeping. Someone brings you food. They are loaning their strength to you during a time that you don't, aren't strong. Someone loses a family member. We, we host meals or we take food to them. We're loaning them our strength. So you're supposed to put on compassion to feel for and with. You're to loan people your strength. The, th the third thing you're to wear is humility. Humility is viewing yourself accurately in the eyes of God. One of the definitions I saw, it says viewing yourself accurately in the eyes of God and people. <laughs> I left off and people because if you see God, you see yourself, you'll see other people clearly. When I see God, I, I understand who I am and I'm no better than you. See, uh, let me ask you this. How many of you um, chose the day that you were going to be born? 
I don't mean the day you celebrate your birthday. My Janie's sister is a, is a December birthday. So she declared several years ago, I'm going to celebrate my birthday in September because y'all been ripping me off, buying me one present and calling it Christmas and birthday, right? I'm not talking about you choose the day. And in fact, in the first service, William Pence was here and he's a Christmas baby. I said, dude, just pick another day so you won't be ripped off. I'm not talking about that. How many of you here chose the day you were going to be born? How many of you here chose the parents that you would have? How many of you here are the creator? Okay, you didn't choose, you didn't choose, you didn't create. Scripture says that we were created, Psalm 139, we are knit together in our mother's womb. The creator knit us together. That means we have a common creator and he loves us all. That means no one is better than anyone else. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care what your education level is. I don't care about any of that stuff. A, a professional football player is no better than anyone in this room in the eyes of God. Clothe yourselves with humility. The thing that makes us special is we're all, all men and women are created equal. So we're going to put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Gentleness is to adjust your strength to match the situation. One time years ago, I think uh, four or five years ago, Hannah was being a little sassy, and it's the only time in her life she's ever been sassy. <clears throat> anyway, I said, I said, you want a piece of me? We're in the living room, and she kind of smarts off, and I said, you want a piece of me, girl? And I think, I don't remember, I, I may be making this up, but I think she said, bring it, old man. And so, um, I, did, am I making that up? I don't know. You said something like that. You're getting sassy right now. We're about to bring it right here. We're, we're going to relive this right now. So I, I can't remember if I was in socks or Crocs, but it, it rhymes, so it doesn't matter. So we're, we're wrestling, and um, I don't, I don't even, I'm, I'm telling you, we're wrestling, and, you know, and I'm twice the size. She's tiny now. So I might have been three times the size of her back then, and we're just kind of, somehow I stumble, and I'm stumbling on my tiny daughter, and by the grace of God, I get my elbows down so that I don't smash her. And she goes, mom, dad's trying to crush me. <laughs> and, and so I help her up and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You okay. We laugh about it later. But, but several times since then, I'll go, you want a piece of me? She goes, nope. <laughs> because I wasn't gentle. Now I was actually clumsy. I was very clumsy at that point, but I, but I didn't adjust my size and strength to the situation, right? My grandson, Waylon is here. He's one year old and, and I have to adjust my strength to, to match the situation. Does this make sense to you? This is, this is what we're talking about with gentleness. Gentle people do not barge into conversations or situations. And if you've done that recently, you need to confess and ask for forgiveness. Every time I have barged into a situation, I've dishonored my name and the name of my heavenly father, and you have too. Gentle people don't barge in. When we go to Haiti, we do not go in and tell folks down there, oh, well, this is how we do it in the, in the United States. In fact, Armando, the, the guy who is our, um, our trip coordinator, he, he's actually over all of Haiti for Praying Pelican. The very first year we went, he was a translator. He had just gotten a, gotten a job with Praying Pelican, worked his way up through the years. He just posted this big rant on Facebook, and he said, please, Americans, when you bring your people to Haiti, you're, you're bringing them to a, do a job that any five-year-old could do and probably Haitian five-year-olds could do it better than you. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop getting mad that you have to do something physical and it wasn't what you thought it would be. And I'm going, yes. 
Because when we go to Haiti, we get under the authority of the pastor. We're in Jacmel, so Pastor Jude is our authority when we're there. Whatever Pastor Jude says we do, we do, and we do it with a good attitude. Otherwise, keep your butt home. I don't want you there. And, and then we, our money goes to pay for the, the foreman and the folks to, to build the house or, or strengthen the house, whatever it is. And so we're, whatever they tell us to do, most of the time we're walking up and down a hill carrying buckets of sand or rocks or whatever they tell. We are the conveyor belt. That's what I tell people. We're the American conveyor belt. And you can't help but notice a bunch of white people walking up and down a hill in Haiti. In fact, every time we go to a new neighborhood, they go, blah, the little kids are running around, blah, blah, blah. That means white. They haven't seen one. White, white, white. And when we walk, this is the cool thing. When we're under their authority and we don't barge in and we're gentle and we walk up and down that hill, I, I, we counted one time. I don't even remember how many trips we made up and down the hill. And it was ridiculous in one day. But when we do that and we sing and we high five and we love on children, the community notices a bunch of white people being gentle. And they began to ask questions. What are you all doing here? They ask us all the time, why would you spend money every place we've ever gone? Why would you spend your money? Why would you take your vacation to come help us? And, and my first answer is God said we were supposed to. And, and we just, we just want to love whoever God puts in front of us. And when the earthquake, I tell them, when the earthquake happened is when God gave me a love for Haiti. And, and they usually ask me to preach. Not, not, they, just, they think that if I'm there and I'm a pastor, I should preach. I would just as soon sit. But they, they want me to preach. And I always tell them I'm the lightest color-skinned Haitian you've ever seen because you've gotten in my heart, you've gotten underneath my skin, and I'm going to keep coming as long as I can. I'm going to keep bringing my church as long as I can. But my church will not act like the churches that Armando has talked about on Facebook. He's they... In fact, I love this because when they find out that it's our group coming, they get excited. The, the workers get excited because they're like, yes, we love this group because they have a great attitude and they serve. We, Janie said this. She said, I want to come back every day from the work site, sweaty, dirty, and worn out. That should be the goal when we serve in, in Christ's name. Step off of the high horse. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Oh, wait, I, I skipped one. Gentleness. Here's the thing. Gentleness says that my relationship with you is more important than my position, my power, or my ego. When I'm gentle with you, you will recognize Christ in me. So we're going to clothe ourselves. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience is the last one. Patience is deciding to go the speed of another person. And if you know me, you know this is hard for me. So... Um, <laughs> When we went to Disney World one time, Caleb and I are walking, and, and we're, before we know it, we're like 100 yards in front of Janie and, and Hannah and Rachel, and we're not even paying attention. We're just walking, next ride, you know, we're focused on, let's get this done, Woohoo! Whenever I work, I work hard. Thatcher used to make fun of me, says I run whenever I trim, you know, and he would run behind me. This is how Doug trims. I just think if there's a job to be done, you should do the job. You know, I'll talk to you later if there's a job to do, but this is a problem for me. And so I'm, I'm always running ahead of people. And I think that's why Janie likes going on cruises with me because when we go on cruises, we don't go with anybody else. We don't want to go. I love you, but we don't want to go with you. And I think she loves it because all of a sudden I decide that I'm going to go at her speed for however long we go on vacation. And we reconnect and it is good for us. 
because I'm a task-oriented person. Get the job done. I may hurt your feelings, and I don't intend to, but I see the task, and it makes me crazy until it's done. But patience is, I'm going to go the speed of my grandson. I'm going to go the speed of my wife. I'm going to go the speed of whoever I need to so that I can share Christ with them. Now look what Paul says in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as, all right, I'm not cussing here, but some of you need to get your AS in gear, your as. I'm not cussing. If you think I'm cussing, you, you got issues. Forgive as the Lord, not as someone else forgives. The standard is much higher than that. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Everything that we've mentioned today has been as God would do it. As God was compassionate, as God was gentle, as God was kind, as God was humble. We're to do everything as the Lord. Get our as like Jesus. And then look at verse 14. And over all, like an overcoat, like a robe, over everything, all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love summarizes everything we just said. It ties it back to the teaching of Jesus. Love as I've loved you. Put on these clothes so that you'll be a reflection of me. Over everything, put on love. All right, so here's follow where. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. This is what you're supposed to wear. Um, Paul, the guy who wrote these words, faced more adversity than everyone in this room together, and he did it without electricity or ibuprofen. That's what gives his words weight. Many times you walk out of here, you forget what I said before you even get to the car, after lunch, whatever. So, so I'm going to share something with you to help you remember this, and I'm going to tell you two things about this. First of all, what I'm about to share with you is exceedingly lame. Second, it didn't come from me. It came from another pastor, Andy Stanley, that I admire, but it's going to work. I'm going to tell you. It worked in the first service. It's going to work here. So I'm going to put this up here. Wait, wait, wait. How many of you, how many of you have ever seen a chick flick? I'm not even going to ask you if you like them. I'm just asking if you've seen a chick flick. And a lot of them are rated PG, right? Here's how I want you to remember this. Chick flick, PG. <laughs> chick flick, PG. Let's, let's try it. I'm going to put up a letter. You tell me what it stands for. First letter compassion. Yeah, it's what we just went through. H, humility. Now, there, there's a couple of them out of order, but it's so that you get chick flick. Next one, kindness. Next one, forgive, forgiveness. Next one, love. Good. Next one, kindness, because it doesn't work. Chick flick, PG, chick flick. We put two kindness in there. You need to be doubly kind. P, patience. G, gentleness, God. The answer is always God, gentleness. All right, chick flick PG. <clears throat> now, Jesus comes along and he goes, new rule. If it had been a rule everybody was following, there wouldn't be a new rule. Love as I have loved you. Not as people deserve to be loved, but as he loves you. And then Paul comes along and he says, put on these clothes, chick flick PG. It's, it's a choice. It's a command. Lord, please filter my mind, my mouth, my life through Chick Flick PG. Because see, you can choose to do this. You can wear this or you can wear this. And the problem with both of those is those people are trying to make a point. Jesus didn't show up to make a point. He showed up to make a difference. If you want to make a difference tomorrow, you put on Chick Flick PG. See, just as God's love made a difference to you, God's love can make a difference through you. 
you want to be a, a, a world changer, chick flick PG, wear those clothes and love others as Christ loved you. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, and I pray that you make us into a church that cares more for others than we care for ourselves, a church that fears you, the one who can destroy both body and soul and hell more than we fear people who can hurt our feelings. And I pray you start that process today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.